Welcome, bienvenidas, bienvenue, marhaban, and benvenuti to Their Secret Sauce, a podcast where we learn from the world's most powerful women in the world, leading change across SDGs on that one skill, the secret sauce, that's helped them get to where they are today. I'm your host, Jasmine Anona, and my burning love to create this podcast comes from a desire to reclaim impatience. As an Egyptian-Italian-American feminist and social entrepreneur passionate about social impact, I love listening to stories, inspiring stories. But what really motivates me is impatience. Or, as I always say, a joyful urgency to create spaces and practical opportunities for learning grounded in diverse stories. Their Secret Sauce takes inspiration from joyful urgency with the mission to create an accessible global resource for you to learn from the stories of diverse women leaders and that one skill, the secret sauce, they hope to pass on to others aspiring to nourish and honor their power in service of social change. On today's episode of Their Secret Sauce, we sit down with Blessing Omaku. Blessing is a Nigerian-American gender equality evangelist, a lawyer, a social impact curator, and the deputy director of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's Goalkeepers. Goalkeepers is a campaign, a community, and a catalyst for action on the UN Sustainable Development Goals. In past life chapters, Blessing worked with and advised a variety of international organizations and government agencies, including the One Campaign, the Nigerian Federal House of Representatives, and the United Nations. Woven into her story is a profound love for storytelling. Blessing writes at the intersection of womanhood, religion, and pop culture. From Blessing, I wanted to know, well, a lot. <laughs> but in summary, how did she go from a career in law to content and campaigns, leading one of the most prestigious social impact communities in the world? In what way has spirituality influenced her understanding and relationship to power? And if, like me, you read enough or, well, binge enough of Blessing's Instagram posts, one thing becomes incredibly clear. Blessing shows up in so many areas of her life as Blessing. She's authentic, and I want to know her secret to authenticity. If she were to train all of us listening on authenticity and how to tune in to our highest purpose, how would she do it? <laughs> Coming up today on Their Secret Sauce, Blessing Omaku. First of all, I wanted to tell you that the reason why I mean, and thank you, because the reason why of I'm here and doing this is because of you um, no. and because of, you know, like the creating this community um it's so special this has been like one of the most intensely mm, connected paths i've been towards like boldly going after things that i have been dreaming of for a long time but as an entrepreneur oh, so like i hear that. put to the side because i you know like, i don't know because i didn't have the right uh mindset but also i think it's just to take sometimes like little nudges to go towards our dreams and and this was definitely a huge nudge and meeting Elizabeth joining goalkeepers joining the accelerator last year like it was a uh, definitely a, an accelerator of my own journey to power so um uh, this has been yeah and also Stephanie like being such a cheerleader as well behind the scenes yeah. like would not be here without her so I just wanted to like really name that and thank you for 
um, for this. It's been so fun. Um, <laughs> oh, a- I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. So glad to hear that. Yourself, I remember meeting you last, and I've read your bio. Um, so many similarities in our story. I went to law school, um, studied in France for a little bit, did model UN, um, ended up in women's rights as well. So lots of similarities. And what's your North Star now? What is my North Star now? I still really care about women's equality. I care about mindsets. How do we shift mindsets? Whether that's through content, culture, conversations, um, people who are influencers, and that's part of what goalkeepers is. But my goal really is how do you shift mindsets for social impact, including women's equality? I think in the policy and global development space, we're often focused on data and our speeches and our laws and our policies. And I believe in law and policy. I worked in policy for a while. I'm a lawyer still. But as you know very well, I'm sure for your work, you can have all the laws in the world. And if you don't shift mindsets, it doesn't mean anything for community change. You can put laws prohibiting violence against women. But if you have a culture that says violence is okay, you're not having anyone use those laws, um, uphold those laws. So really just mindset shift is my North Star now and thinking of different ways to impact culture. Mm. And I feel like storytelling is such a big component in terms of shifting mindset and communication more broadly. And that's actually what in many ways, this podcast and why I was excited to speak to you is about because, you know, it's really about taking the message from empowerment to power, right? Which Melinda, seed of inspiration behind this podcast is for me, mindset is also all about how can I learn from, you know, women that have come before me and have a lot more experience in their journeys to power on the ways that they have sort of what is their mindset like more practically? What are the pragmatic elements of being in, for example, your mindset, you know, what does someone like you sort of wish, what is your secret sauce that you sort of would hope to pass on to folks that are listening to this podcast, you know, in your own, um, taking from your own story uh, and journey to power? It's such a great question. And the whole thing around shifting from empowerment to power is how do we go from being women who are waiting to be given a seat at the table, waiting to be chosen, waiting to be given opportunity. And how do we stand in our power, the power that we've always had? It's not something that needs to be given to us, but something that we need to utilize and leverage and draw from. In my life and my story, my secret sauce, I think that's helping me go from empowerment to power is authenticity. And it's really taking the time to know who I am, what I'm doing. I loved your question about the North Star. In every season of my life, figuring out what is my North Star, that's what's been the secret sauce. So I think I shared earlier with you, the UN was the goal at first. And I moved to New York. My goal is I'm going to work in the UN in New York. I had done everything up until that point um, to lead me here. 
and it just wasn't working out. And I had to really be still to figure out why is this not working out? Because why isn't anyone giving me an opportunity? Why? I mean, I was applying for all the jobs. I was networking. I applied for hundreds and hundreds, hundreds of jobs and could not get the UN job. And I was waiting to be empowered. I was waiting for someone to give me a job. And I took my power back through storytelling. I, in that season, I began to blog. I began to blog about what does it mean to be a woman, to tell stories about equality from my own lens, um, experiencing, so I'm Nigerian, experiencing Nigerian culture or an American culture as a woman. Um, I was getting married at a time, just thinking about the ways culture really influences what it means to be a woman. And I began to tell my own story and that led to so many opportunities. Um, one of the things I began to talk about and blog about was the role that religion plays in setting gender norms. And I ended up through that blog and some mutual friends meeting a brilliant lawyer who uses religion in her work. She's a professor at Harvard Divinity School and Harvard Law School. And she works in Sharia courts using Sharia law to really give women rights, to get them off death row. And that just inspired me. But all of that, all that led me here. But all that came from being still, figuring out who I am, what I'm actually trying to achieve, and beginning to tell my own story and create my own path and stop waiting to be given an opportunity. And if you can sort of um, share with us as well what the role potentially of asking for help in this journey is. I think so often we see yeah. and, and when we hear about stories of um, quote unquote success and women in power, you don't really see the role that community played in, in getting us to where we are. So I'm wondering how did community play a role in also helping you tune into your secret sauce, into that authenticity? That's a great question. And asking for help is something I've had to learn over time. So earlier in my career, um, I didn't ask for help from my community a lot. I was always going to people who I thought were so successful and had it figured out and could give me an opportunity. And what I've come to realize over time is we should start with people that we actually have relationships with. Um, I think it doesn't always work out to go to people who don't know you, who don't have a relationship with you and say, hey, help me. And I see it happen all the time. People will send me a LinkedIn message and ask for help. And I want to help, but I don't know you. I can't put my name and say, I recommend XYZ person when I don't know you. That has implications for me. As I've grown in my career, what I focus on is building my network building authentic relationships and then asking for help when I need it from those communities. So I love the fact that you use the word community. Um, that has been huge for me of learning to build community and for it to be reciprocal relationships too, right? So as much as we're asking for help, making sure that we're also giving help, I found that to be just a virtuous cycle of sorts of I'm always trying like right now I even have a mentoring group 
And I'm always ensuring that I try to give them help and advice. And then I have mentors as well. And I have peers as well. And we mentor each other in different ways. So building community has been something I've learned over time, professional community. Because you have your community of friends, but you also need professional community. And those are not the same things. Mm -hmm. And can you tell us more about your experience and what your process is of building authentic relationships for the professional um, network? Yeah. So I, I don't like networking for the sake of networking. So there's nothing I hate more than a networking event. And this is where authenticity comes in. When I go to an event, I go to an event because I'm genuinely interested in the subject matter the speaker, um, the organization, I rarely go just to network unless I have like a specific goal. But when I go into a space, what I'm always looking for is who am I drawn to just authentically? Maybe it's some an outfit someone is wearing. Maybe it's something a panel said, a panelist said. Um, maybe it's someone who I recognize from social media. But I always just people who I'm authentically drawn to. And what I'm always trying to do when I build community is to know who people are as human beings. I think we often jump right to what is your job title, which can sometimes be the least interesting thing about a person or a job title doesn't actually tell you what someone does in detail. Um, so I always like to just ask questions that help me learn about that person as a human being. And I find I'm able to build authentic relationships that way. I um, I don't just go professional in my professional relationships, which almost contradicts what I just said about like your professional conflicts are not your friends. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a way to learn about people as human beings, even when they are professional contacts. Mm -hmm. And can you maybe give us an example or two of sort of some of these um authentic relationships that you formed over the years professionally and how they helped you get to where you are today? Mm, that's a good question. I'll tell you about goalkeepers as one example. So I first attended goalkeepers as a goalkeeper. I joined the community before I became a, a goal, the head of goalkeepers. And the very first event I attended at goalkeepers was the community networking session and i stopped in the bathroom right before i walked into the session at jazz at lincoln center you've been there jasmine and right in the bathroom i met someone who she was washing her hands her name is adele she's actually a podcaster as well um just a fabulous fabulous media personality she's done radio for years she's a woman's rights activist but I was just like, hi, you look African as well. Are you here for gold first? She's like, yes, I'm from Kenya. I think she was wearing an SDG 5 pin. And I was like, oh, that's my the SDG I'm interested in as well. SDG 5 for gender equality. And we just started talking. And right now she's one of my closest friends. I mean, we we talk about personal stuff. We We're, we're building a solid friendship. And that's been over years. And that just came from connecting in the restroom. And in many ways, even this role that I have now came from building relationship. So 
at my very first goalkeeper event, I actually reached out to a colleague who was going to be attending goalkeepers as well. And he was much more senior. But I said, hey, I'll be there. Let me know if I can support your engagement in any way. And he was like, as a matter of fact, I'm hosting this training workshop for the community. Can you share a bit about your policy and advocacy work in Nigeria? So I helped facilitate that workshop that led to the Gates team asking me to do to curate an entire workshop for a Johannesburg goalkeepers event. That led to building relationships with the goalkeepers team, the Project Everyone team. So Project Everyone is our partner who helps us put goalkeepers on. Um, and they said, hey, you should be on the goalkeepers advisory group that we're launching. We didn't see you apply. You should apply. And I wouldn't have even known about this if I hadn't had that conversation because they posted it on Facebook. I don't use Facebook. <laughs> and so um, that lets me being on the board. And that led to when the person who um, leads goalkeepers was deciding to resign, she said, I think you should apply. And I had to go through a six, seven month application interview process. But I wouldn't have even known about this opportunity if those relationships hadn't been built. So Goalkeepers Array is a great example of just what building relationships can do personally and professionally. A lot of my really good professional relationships are people that I've met through being on the board for goalkeepers, attending goalkeepers, first as a goalkeeper, then as a board member, then as a speaker, and now as the head of goalkeepers. Wow. Wow. Thank you for um, giving us this amazing insight. I think that's, um, it's very rare, actually. And I wanted to ask you if you, in your own journey to power, do you feel like you had um, examples of what you are yourself sharing? Like, did you like kind of taking us back to the very beginning of your career? Do you feel like it was rare for you to listen to a story like your own, where you could actually have this joy and privilege of sort of seeing the unfolding of how people in positions of power get to where they are. Did you have that early on in life? I did not. That was one of the hardest things for me. As I grew up in, mostly in Nigeria. I was born in the States, born in Oklahoma, uh, but moved to Nigeria really young. And my parents are pastors. My entire life was in the church, growing up in faith communities. And I wanted to explore this path of global development, which no one in my family was doing. I was the first lawyer in my family. And so I was desperate for examples, for um, a path, a roadmap of how do you get here? How do you get to the UN? How do you get to the World Bank? How do you get to these organizations? And I couldn't find it. I'd be reading memoirs. I'd listen to podcasts. I asked for coffee dates. And many times people would tell me, just don't give up. I'm like, okay, that's that's great, but give me specific steps. And which is why I try to be very honest about everything I've gotten, how I've gotten there, because I didn't have that. It was really hard. And being a black woman in this space, being a black African woman in the global development space in a leadership role, being a younger woman in a leadership role, there are not many models. So I've had to create my own path. I think there's, what's that poem that says, um, come celebrate 
uh, this life that I've had to build on my own. I have to Google this poem. It's one of my favorite um, poems. Give me a second. Yes, please. Born both and Lucille Clifton. Lucille Clifton. Wait, I'm going to find it. So it says, won't you celebrate with me what I have shaped into a kind of life? I had no model. Born in Babylon, both woman and black. What did I see to me except myself? I made it up here on this bridge between starshine and clay. My one hand holding tight, my other hand come celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. It's called Born in Babylon by Lucille Clifton. I love that poem. And for me, it really just resonates and I go back to it often. Mm. That's so beautiful. I'm just thinking as well, like in, in you reading this, you know, I you mentioned that your your parents were were pastors. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking, like, how has also spirituality, you know, influenced your yeah. own understanding and your relationship to power? So spirituality is the core of everything I am and everything I do. My power comes from knowing who I am first as a child of God. That's how I identify. I identify as a child of God. And that's helped me because my value and my self-worth is not rooted in a title, in a position, in who I have access to, in what I achieve. And that has been incredibly empowering for me and has just given me so much power because everything I do, I do from that identity. It's also helped me at each point in my life to think about why am I doing what I do? Like, of course, we all care about accolades and achievement. I am type A. I am Nigerian, daughter of immigrants. Achievement matters to me. Don't get it twisted. But for me, at each point, purpose is my goal. I ask, why am I in this place? What am I here to do? And that just shifts and takes me out of competition. I'm not competing with anyone in the work I do. I'm very clear on what I'm doing and why I'm doing um, like when I took this role, for example, I had two options. I was consulting for the foundation at the time, and I was actually helping to design work around religion and gender equality. And then this opportunity came up that I could have continued doing the work around gender equality and religion, probably as a consultant or gotten a grant, or I could have taken on this full-time role. But my purpose in taking on this role was, A, it matters for women like me to be in positions like this, just for that to be seen. But B, I have more power being within an institution. And my goal was how do I use that power to create opportunity for people who have not historically had opportunity to diversify the types of people we see in our content, on our stage, to create more inclusivity in how we design our campaigns, curate our events. Like that was my very specific goal. And so from the first few months I joined, I did like an analysis of like, what is the diversity of our vendors? Who are we partnering with behind the scenes? Um, we had our very first sponsored content partnership with Bella Nigel. It was our first Africa um, sponsored media content partnership. And I was so proud of that because we had Africans telling African stories. We've done work like around Generation Equality Forum, 
We had Hawa, who was a goalkeeper from Nigeria, Adele, who was the goalkeeper I mentioned from Kenya, um, and Nadia, who was a goalkeeper in, in South Africa, tell their stories. And having Africans be at the center of campaigns, tell their own story, both on screen, but also behind the screens, those things matter to me, ensuring that we're building our European communities, that we're building our communities in Asia. We have um, we have communities in China, in India. Those things matter to me, and that was my goal when I came. So it wasn't just the title. It was, how can I use this role to create more access, to create change? I wanted to see tangible change in small things even. Like when I came, I said, the food that we serve at this event, we don't have carbs. You have people coming from Africa and you're giving them very cute chocolates. We need like, we need rice. We need meat. And I understand that they're vegans, but they're people who also need to eat meat. So things like that is the picture that we have vegan options and we have also meat options for those who eat meat. And we have carbs for those who eat carbs and salads for those who don't want to eat carbs. Um, things like that matter to me. Yeah. And I think what I hear so much is some, of course, like you said, that you're so closely sort of connected to your purpose. Um, and I'm mm. wondering if you and, and that really ties into the theme of, you know, what you mentioned is your secret sauce, which is the authenticity component. But I'm wondering for, you know, people who might not might have, you know, might, are fighting so many different voices, you know, we're fed thousands of voices, our, our family, society, our own, yeah. you know, are, are learned. What, how can you sort of, if you were to train, for example, the people listening to this podcast, especially I'm thinking about young women that are listening to this, that are on their own journeys to power and want to tune into authenticity, what sort of, what, if you were to train them or to help educate them on how to tune into authenticity, how would you do that? It's a great question, even for me, because at different seasons of our life, who we are shifts what our purpose is shifts. And I'm in a season like that right now where I'm rediscovering who I am. I've had my head down doing this role for the last few years and I'm figuring out what what do I want to achieve next and why? Who am I right now in this season? And there are a few things I do each time I'm trying to be clear about where I am, what my purpose is in a specific season. One is journaling. I journal a lot and I find just journaling helps me track how I'm thinking, how I'm feeling. I go back to those journals and so I highly recommend just keeping a journal of how you're feeling, what you're thinking. Sometimes career-wise specifically, I track certain things like what made me excited at work in the last week, month, year. I, I really track that. When did I feel most demoralized, most bored? Um, what things can become alive. I keep that, I really track that tightly because I begin to see patterns of, oh, I really enjoy doing this. And, oh, I don't like doing this. Like one of, one of the ways that became clear to me in the last one, one or two years is I began to realize I got so much energy from our content. I didn't even know that content was something I was so passionate about. Um, but I have enjoyed just developing the videos that we make for goalkeepers and thinking about the sessions that we curate. So that's something that I learned through just journaling, going back and saying over the past quarter, month, week, year, what have I enjoyed the most? Um, the other thing is conversations. I'll ask people that I trusted who are close to me, what 
what do you think I'm good at? What do you think I'm strongest at? As I've grown, that's also become an executive coach. I have a coach who I ask questions, but even if you can't access a coach, I think just asking people whose advice you trust, whether that's a mentor or a peer is, where do you see me at my strongest? Um, I, I think about things like, what do I do that comes to me naturally? And I don't even have to think about that. I see other people struggle with. Like I realized over time that strategy comes to me naturally. I can be talking to you and I can already hear in my head, okay, here are the three or five main questions that we have. And I realized over time that doesn't come to people as quickly or naturally as it comes to me. And I, I used to take that for granted. So it's also just being observational after meetings, after conversations, after projects of where did I see others struggle that I was able to provide value? What did people compliment me for? What did people rely on me for? Um, blocking out noise is big for me when I'm trying to connect with myself. I love social media. I can be on TikTok for hours. I can be on Instagram for hours. I really enjoy it. But I found that when I'm trying to be really clear in a specific season, I need to shut out the noise. So sometimes that looks like taking a sabbatical from Instagram, taking a sabbatical from TikTok, deleting the apps from my phone, whether it's a week, a month, a day. That silence is so important. Going on walks just to hear myself think. Um, turning off the notifications on my phone for WhatsApp. I found that people have lots of ideas of who you should be. One of my other favorite poems, quotes is Audre Lorde's, if I didn't define myself by myself, I would be consumed by other people's fantasies for me and eaten alive. And so many people have ideas and projections of who we should be. And sometimes even our loved ones can be the worst people because they have fears and they have assumptions about who you should be. And so I find that sometimes just disengaging from conversations and not sharing what I'm thinking, like you have to have discernment of who do I share what I'm grappling with right now. Is there someone who can hold the complexity both of who I am now and who I want to be? But if I could say one thing, it's silence. I find the most clarity in silence. And that for me looks like getting off social media for time for some time and because i'm zero or a hundred that's my personality i'm either fully on there and i'm posting every day or i'm gone and i people who have more balance maybe they don't have to be as strict but i i i don't have that kind of balance um i i wanted to know actually um the role of journaling and if you had to talk sort of gift um reflection questions to folks listening as well of questions that you think would be really um, powerful to for everyone to start their day, to tune into their power and to tune into their authenticity? What would be some questions that you would love to have us journal on? So it's funny, as you said this, I just opened up my phone because I made a note for just career purpose reflections. And I'll just share some of the questions in that note. So I journal on my phone. I have my phone by me. It's easy. If I say I'm going to write in a notebook, it's never going to happen. So I think that's one thing is just to figure out what process for journaling works for you. But here are some questions I have on my phone that I've gathered from just books, podcasts, ETC, and they're in different categories. Um, one is just, it's I, I label it my true self. And the questions are, what was I like before I started trying to be someone else? 
before I learned to judge and criticize myself. What did I enjoy doing? What made me feel good? If I could be the person I really am and didn't have to worry about money, what would my life be like right now? Before fourth grade, what was I interested in? Who are my favorite people and what did I like about them? What did I like to do with my free time? What did I like to play? What was my idea of a perfect day? What really raised my energies? And then the second bucket that I have that I call my role self, and I think it was the book I got that helped me figure out these categories. It says, am I now involved in things I'm not really interested in? What do I make myself do because I think it means I'm a good person? Are there people I engage with who deplete my energy and make me feel drained? What do I spend my time on that's boring to me? How would I describe the social role I try to play? How do I hope people see me? Which of my personality traits do I try to cover up? What am I glad no one knows about me? And a few other questions I all read out. And these ones are more about thinking about just what, what to do next and people who are thinking about what to do next. Um, what kind of work do I find myself coming back to again and again, even when I don't succeed right away, when it seems like it's taking too long or making progress? What do I find myself coming back to? What activities was I already doing as a child that I still like to do now? Is there something I have to work hard at to get right? Something that I want to get right because I care enough about it, no matter how much time and practice it takes. Is there something that gets me up a little early or keeps me working late after others have gone to sleep? Not because a product is due, but because it's important to me to make a little more progress. What activities do I never need to put on my to-do list? What tasks do I have to nudge and remind myself and even force myself to complete? Those are a few questions that I ask and that I think about. And I just have a note that I call career and I come back to something I look at. That is, thank you so much for actually reading them. I, I feel like I just got an entry or, or an inside look into such an intimate space. So I'm, I'm so grateful um, for that. And I'm wondering actually of all of those questions, um, the ones that you just read out, which one uh -huh. sort of spoke to you the most right now that you would be open to answering? <laughs> I think the one that speaks to me most in this season of my life is going back to who I was as a child. I'm in a season of shedding. I I built so much, but um, I spent the first few decades of my life doing everything society, culture, and religion told me to do. And I'm shedding a lot of those away right now. I'm going back to really play I've been doing things like blowing bubbles with my nephew. Um, I love TV. And when people ask, what is your hobby? I'm like, I enjoy television. Television is my hobby. I have no shame about it. In fact, I have an Instagram page where I just write about TV shows I enjoy. I don't care if people think it's silly. That's something I enjoyed as a child, but it's actually helped me uncover just this deep love I have for content and how content shifts culture. But I enjoy the trashiest reality TV and also amazing, great social impact shows, but there's a full range. I'm thinking about even religion, how I engage with my spirituality is different from how I was raised, completely different. And I've had to own that. And some of it is going back to what are the questions I had as a child about my faith? Um, basically some of those questions still resonate with me now and are helping me form a spirituality that is authentic to me. So that, that question resonates most. I'm 
really tried to strip away all the things that I've built up over the past few years that I have those what what the things I needed to do to be successful. And I'm I'm wondering what feels maybe uncomfortable about this current phase of stripping things away. Does anything feel especially uncomfortable and Jasmine, you ask deep questions. <laughs> what feels uncomfortable? Grappling with insecurity. I'm a pretty confident person. And in this season of my life, I'm beginning to discover insecurities that I didn't know I had. And that's so uncomfortable. And I'm sitting in it and saying, why am I insecure about X? Is it something I want to change? Is it something I want to keep? Like just things like that, that I didn't realize because I haven't had time to stop and process. But then you realize, ooh, X triggered me. And it's because there's an insecurity there or someone has tapped on a, a part of my ego that I didn't even realize I had. So that's uncomfortable. I, I don't do insecurity a lot. So it's it's uncomfortable to be realizing that I have insecurities I didn't know I had. And uh, would you be open to sharing one of those? No problem if she's too much. Um, <laughs> sure. I'll say one is like right now, I'm heavier than I used to be weight-wise in my 20s and I'm realized oh I have I've insecurities around that like I've always been very confident about how I look and I love fashion I love to experiment with style it's something I enjoy I'm very playful with my style and I realized that oh there are pounds here that I, I didn't realize because I wasn't paying attention and do I still feel beautiful in this skin and that's very uncomfortable for me to think about. Well, one of the things that um, I've had the um, amazing privilege of being in the same room as you a few times, um, and I will see you soon as well, I think in September. Yes. And one of the things that really stood out to me is um, your your presence and also your sense of style is amazing. <laughs> and then in looking at, you know, a lot of your work online and, um, you know, your profile and, you know, scrolling mm-hmm. through your Instagram, one of the things I found that I really loved, um, you did, you wrote in a post that about, I would think it was like a get ready with me video where you were putting on like a big fluffy red coat and you were yeah. talking about this process of like, should I put on like the color or not? But then you were talking about decolonization of like de- decolonizing our own sense of like style and and really how like color is, is something that's so powerful that in rooms, in traditional rooms um, of power, color is not not present you know it's mostly like navies and whites so i'm wondering if you can talk a bit more about you know fashion and its role and i know this is an insecurity you're grappling with but from what i saw on the outside as well as someone who really is claiming her power in in style and in fashion so can you talk a bit more about your relationship to that i love that question because i love fashion i love style and i think that it's one of the ways that we express ourselves and that we can communicate messages. And it's not even for me about owning high-end items. I don't buy a lot of expensive things, to be honest. I'm gifted them sometimes, but I don't buy a lot of them. But I just enjoy style. And I'll tell you, when I first moved to Washington, D.C., so I moved to Washington, D.C. for law school. And the first thing that struck me living in D.C. was everyone was in 
gray suits and blue suits. It was so boring. And I was a law student and I began to think at that time, do I have to begin to dress like this to be taken seriously? And that was when I began to just explore and experiment with wearing colors. I would take the bus, come to New York, go to uh, Soho, go to these stores, which now we know probably are not ethical because they're fast fashion. But I would buy all these outfits that people would be like, you're going to law school, girl. Why are you wearing all those colors? Because I want to. And <laughs> if you think about it, a lot of this is, is cultural because I'm Nigerian. In Nigeria, we wear color. Our ankaras are colorful. Our headscarves are colorful. And that's not just one for a special event. Every Sunday going to church, we wore color. We wore head ties. We wore jewelry. And for us, that was celebration. And now there's this whole movement on social media, uh, minimalism. What's the other one around? Something about, I guess, appearing rich, old money, whatever it is, the, the trend. And I'm like, even the conversation about dressing like old money Think about who has historically had money. Who who has historically had it? Why would I want to mimic that? My ancestors did not have money. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to dress the way that my culture celebrates. So for me, showing up as myself with my blonde hair and my nails are green sometimes and they're blue sometimes. And then sometimes they're sure. born red, like right now. Sometimes I have no color, but it's really a message each time I dress of how I'm feeling. Yes. Sometimes I want to feel playful. Sometimes I want to feel colorful and joyful. Sometimes I'm feeling more pensive. Like right now I'm, I'm wearing all black because I'm in a really kind of black mood. <laughs> so um, it's a powerful tool for expression. And it occurred to me that it could be decolonization because the Instagram, TikTok trends, of the, of the old money and all it just I was like there's a deeper political me meaning that we're missing here um so yeah that's the few thing I have fun with and beyond colors um and and fashion what are some of the other sort of tools that you would say help you sort of own your power oh I love information I ferociously consume information um, and a diversity of information so i listen to a ton of podcasts and i'm gonna start listening to this one which has it launched yet no it has not <laughs> okay so i can't wait i thought so because i googled it and i was like i don't think it's launched yet so but i listen to a lot of podcasts i listen to a lot of books um i i read although i read a lot now through listening to audiobooks but that helps me feel powerful because that gives me a range of information. And when I have information, I feel powerful. Um, my spirituality, as we've mentioned, is a tool for me. And that looks like a few things. That looks like meditation. That looks like, for me, reading my Bible. And I'm a big student of theology. So I read and listen and explore a lot of theology-based content for me, those are tools that help me feel powerful. My community is, is I don't want to say tool because that sounds almost 
facts about my community is a big source of my power. I just, for example, spent three weeks with my family, which is why we had to schedule this call. So thank you. But I spent time with my sister and my auntie and my nephew and being with people who just love you for you, not because of something you can do for them or something you can help them with, but just love you because you're you're you. That's such a source of power. It was so nourishing for me. And I have friends who are like that as well. I don't have a huge circle of friends. I know a lot of people, but I have a small circle of friends who really see me for who I am, not just my job title. And that's a source of power. So I would say community, spirituality, information. Mm. And on the note of information, um, I, one of my questions for you is going to be if you know if you could build sort of a curriculum around uh, your secret sauce, around authenticity um, of uh, the information that you know listeners could just be your favorite books or podcasts um, or uh, social media accounts or TV shows um, that you would recommend sort of um, consuming and and nourishing in our own lives in order to sort of tune into authenticity and and really start um getting a taste for that you know like um yeah what would you recommend so i won't say like specific books or podcasts or tv shows but what i'll give you is categories because even right now i'm building a curriculum of sorts for myself right now i'm trying to get smarter about money and it goes back to what we're talking about of i didn't grow up with generational wealth I didn't learn to invest. I don't know about stocks and mutual funds. So I'm learning a lot. And actually, I can share a few things that I've, I've watched and listened to. There was a show on Netflix I just watched called, I think it's How to Be Rich or I'll Teach You How to Be Rich. And I'm listening to his book. And I think that there's a lot of shame we have about talking about um, income, especially in this field. But it's actually a source of power to have money. You can do much more with money. So I'm learning about money. I'm reading books. I'm listening to podcasts about money. And I think just financial power is a huge source of power. I think when women have economic power, that will change the world. So financial is one piece for me. Um, I'm always learning about spirituality. So I listen to a podcast about the Bible. I listen to theology podcasts. I care a lot about the intersection of feminism and theology. And so I read and listen to a lot of feminist and womanist theologians. Um, I love Instagram accounts with fashion. And I share that right now I'm grappling with being heavier than I've been before. And so I'm trying to find more plus size fashion accounts to help me think about what it looks like to be more confident in this body that I currently occupy. Um, what else is big for me? I love pop culture. I love to know what's going on in culture. And so TikTok, just seeing what's happening in the cultural space. And there's so much that we can learn even for the work we do by seeing where society is having conversations. Like, an example that comes to mind was there was an article, there was a Vogue cover that Rihanna did a couple months ago. I don't remember if it was this year, but I think it was this year, earlier this year. And there was so much conversation around the fact that in the Vogue cover, her partner was holding her ba the, their baby, not Rihanna. And people talk about, oh, this is de-emasculating or emasculating this man and da-da-da-da-da. But it's a powerful thing around what are gender roles? How do we see gender roles in society? And even in the West, which we think is more progressive, and that's not actually true, but we often ascribe progression or being progressive and liberal to 
the West, we still are grappling with what gender roles are. But the fact that a man holding his own child can be so triggering was just so, it, it just blew open my mind of we're not where we think we are on the global goals. We're not where we think we are on gender equality. We have a long way to go in shifting mindsets. So I, I enjoy popular culture, whether it's the accounts, fashion accounts, podcast, ETC, because they help me see where culture currently is. And on the note on uh, finances, that is so, I, I actually I really, that's, um, I was not expecting that. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I think that's, um, yeah, I wasn't expecting that. I'm not sure. It's so interesting. I think that's one of my assumptions, right? Is that also like that women in power understand and are, I, I guess, like in some way, quote unquote, done with, uh, you must have that like figured out, you know? Um, no. Uh, so I just want to share that, you know, like even in, I was, I was surprised. I was like, wow, okay. Because I'm on that journey as well. You know, I'm trying to understand, um, and as a, as an entrepreneur and as a business owner, you know, and in the social impact space, especially right. one of the things and the biggest stereotypes of social impact is that you can't make money and do good in the world, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So that's, yeah. it's, it's a learning journey for me because again, I grew up with pastors as parents so money and profit was never the goal. It was, we lived on what we could. Our house was always filled with people. Any money that was gained was for the church, was for building the church. And I realized going up that I almost had this shame around money. And my thinking was, you do social impact work just for the good of it. And you shouldn't care about what you make. And as I've grown, I realized how faulty that thinking is. Because actually you can do social impact better and well when you're not stressed about money. Um, and there's just so much more good you can do in the world. I mean, I work for two billionaires who are able to do this work because they're billionaires and they're using their money to change the world. This is the largest philanthropy organization in the world and they're doing so much good. So it's something I've learned that it's not shameful to ask for money, to know about money, to desire money. Um, and that's been a huge shift for me in the last, I would say, one to two years, as recent as that. Like, I've just began to learn. And growing up, I was always taught you, you work and you make a salary. And I'm learning a salary is not even the path for most to wealth. And there's a difference between being comfortable and having wealth. And how radical is it to be a Black woman in Africa and to say, actually, I want to learn about what it means to have wealth. Because often all we imagine for Black women, for African women, is being lifted out of poverty. But why is that all we imagine for Black women or for women of color? Why don't we imagine us having generational wealth? And I don't know if that would be a goal that's realized in this generation, but to even begin to imagine what that possibility could be for people who look like me is a huge shift for me. And and the note that you mentioned about, you know, this this binary thinking where it's like, you know, we we feel like we can't make an impact and make money and that we have to choose either or is also something that maybe like when you were sharing about early on in your story, it seemed like that was also potentially uh when when well when you were describing your family exactly. It's like there's that it's an either or. And so, and actually yeah. it's still so, so ingrained, you know, I speak to so many young people, um, as part of my work and 
oftentimes they ask me, you know, like, how is how is it possible to do what you love, to make an impact and also to generate, is it possible? And so, yes, it is. And we just, we just need more perspective. We need more content around how it's possible. And so I'm wondering, you know, what, what advice or, you know, what words of comfort sort of would you give or perspective would you share um, around this topic to the young people that are listening that feel like at, you know, at these kinds of stages, they have, they feel like they have to decide whether to, to make an impact or to make money. I'm still learning that right now. I am not the expert on this. I am still trying to learn what it means to do social impact work. I have only worked in the social impact space my entire career. I've never worked in private sector. And I want to reject the notion that you have to work in private sector or you have to do X, Y, Z. But I'm still figuring out what that means. And I don't have the full answer. What I do know that I been clear on is I no longer have shame around discussing salary with my managers about saying, am I being compensated fairly about asking about what is the policy for bonuses? Like just really understanding those things and educating myself even about tools, like things like 401ks that I don't think about. Like I'm learning about those things. Uh, There are ways that you can set up and structure your 401k that I didn't know. So I'm still learning is the, is the short answer. Mm. And who else? You mentioned the, the Netflix show. So where, where yes. else are you learning about money? <laughs> there is a fabulous woman called Sally Krawcheck, who is speaker about women's economic power. And she runs an organization called Elevest. And Elvest is a platform that provides both knowledge, information. They have courses, they have classes, they have articles. And I think it's like $5 a month for the subscription. And you can also invest on the platform if you choose. But I love Elvest. Elvest is helping me learn just a lot about money and income. And she's a goalkeeper. So I highly recommend that. Um, I'll have to think there are a few more. There's like there's a podcast I just started listening to. Let me see. I pull it on up. It's called the Money Wellness Podcast. I just subscribed to that. Um, the guy who I mentioned who has the Netflix show also has a podcast called I Will Teach You to Be Rich. Uh, so I'm still exploring. I'm still exploring. It's like, who are the people I want to learn from yeah. in this space? Exactly. I've seen a lot of these kinds of communities of, you know, women um, investing communities and it's so interesting. I feel like a lot of the times it is so country specific too. Um, yeah. And I, but I, I really love, there's a community um, now I'm blanking. I think it's called the trauma of money. Um, yeah. And it's actually like a really fascinating group of women of color in the U S that uh, lead courses around money trauma um, because behind money, there is such like, I think we all have no matter what our background yeah. is, there is such an intense, uh yeah trauma around around finances um absolutely um and i'm wondering like what are maybe some of the other assumptions that you think people might make um of about you you know like of someone in your position of power aside from sort of the learning a journey on on finances um which i i think i'm also grappling with some of the same questions about like 401k and like as you but um what are some of the other assumptions that you think people might make of you and like myths about um, someone in your position of power? I don't know if it's a myth, 
But I will say is people begin to forget humanity at a certain point. So people see you less as a person and more as an institution. And that can be painful sometimes if people don't even say, hi, how are you doing? It's, hi, I need this. Hi, I need this connection. Hi, I want to be invited to this place. Please connect me. Please get on a call with me. I want 30 minutes. I want a lunch. I want a coffee. Um, and people don't care if you say, hey, I'm sick. I can't engage. So I think the myth is people thinking you're no longer a human being. And you're just an institution. And you're a representative of that institution and nothing more. And you don't have other dimensions to you. Mm. Do you ever get tired of that? All the time. Yeah. All the time. Because I just, I think our space can be very extractive, the social impact. And I get it. I absolutely get it. I've run a small NGO. I've worked in small NGOs. And so I understand that funding is so limited in this space. And people are working so hard to get visibility for their projects, funding for their projects, connection for their projects. So I totally get it. But it can be very tiring to open my Instagram and maybe I just want to laugh and kiki. And it's DMs of, hi, I emailed you and I haven't gotten a response. <laughs> that can be tiring. Yeah. And how do you protect yourself? Like in these moments, you know, how do you protect your flame? Mm, I am selective with what I engage. Like I, and this might be sacrilegious to say on a podcast that is career focused. I don't like LinkedIn. I don't want it. My emails are enough for me. <laughs> so <laughs> I choose the platforms I want to engage on. Yeah. Um, I'm intentional about taking my weekends as much as I can. I try not to work on weekends. I also, people know I have two phones. I have my work phone and my personal phone. And I, I want to separate those things. I don't want to see emails at all hours of the day. That just helps me separate those two things. Um, I make sure to have fun. I'm not always good at it, but I try to at least do one fun thing a week in the evenings to, to listen to something that is not work-related at all, that is just like a pop culture or some entertainment, just something that's very mindless. So, um, and I want to just be mindful of the time um, between the two of us, and also I'll move on to yes. sort of um, the last, one of the last questions. Um, uh, well, so first of all, thank you. Um, it's been so interesting and um, and special to to listen to you and to um, also share about you know my own sort of some of the 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 vulnerabilities of what I see as well. You know, like with the money thing, it's also not easy for me to talk about as well. So I can imagine on your uh. side talking about this. So thank you, um, genuinely. Um, I mm, for the last question, I'm thinking, you know, if you could receive sort of uh, 10 seconds of complete courage um, to change something or to just take action in one area of your life that maybe maybe there's some fear or something what would what action would you take well, let's say let's extend it beyond 10 seconds let's say if you had a day of courage you know unlimitless courage what would you do um yeah. That's a deep question. 
I think the courage I'm working on the most is saying things that need to be said, which might be surprising for people who know me because I'm not shy. I'm very direct. Um, I say what's on my mind. But I've realized that there's been a lot I've suppressed, both in my personal and professional life, over the last few years. And so a day, a minute, 10 minute of courage would look like having more honest conversations about things I've suppressed. Mm-hmm. And one of those things that you've suppressed that you would share in this day of courage? Ooh, I'll keep that one to myself. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay. <laughs> so, um, thank you so much, um, Blessing, for, for being on Their Secret Sauce podcast. Um, I am so glad um, that you said yes. I'm grateful. And I just also want to publicly call out, um, now that we're recording, um, that it's because of Blessing that I am also able to own my power in this space and in this podcast. So I want to say thank you to her for um, creating this space uh, for me and for all of the other people who are involved in creating this podcast. So thank you. Thank you so much, Jasmine. This has been such a interesting, nourishing conversation. You've made me think about things um, and you ask very great questions. And I'm so excited about this podcast. And I'm so excited that the world gets to experience this and to hear women talk about the things that have influenced our journey, because like you said, so many of us don't know the in-between. We know somebody was here and they have this position and you don't know about all the things between that, around that. So thank you for the work you're doing and thank you for, for showing up. Thank you for coming to Goalkeepers and actually taking on the challenge of doing something with what you've heard. That's the dream for us. And you make us look good. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Their Secret Sauce. As an avid podcast listener for so many years, one of the things I always craved from hosts interviewing phenomenal leaders is to hear, I suppose, the reflections and seeds of inspiration that the host received from the interview. That's why each episode for the closing ritual of this podcast, I read to you a diary entry I write fresh after each interview. It's not really a summary, nor a conclusion. It's an open door into my secret sauce, introspections from the heart. Blessing, in our time together, one of the most joyful surprises I experienced was hearing you repeat in this season of my life. Hearing you say this throughout our time together was liberating. You share that your secret sauce is authenticity, but I'd love to share, if you don't mind, that the extra flavor of your sauce comes from grace. What is grace? It's someone who gives themselves the time, the silence, the kindness to realize we are worthy, like nature, of multiple seasons. In this season of my life is the most beautiful sermon I feel you gifted us listeners and leaders on our own journeys to power. With this intimate glimpse into your inner world, we see that grace, the grace it takes to change. And authenticity depends on that because what's true to us last year and past lifetimes might no longer be true now, and that's okay. Through listening to your journey to power, you help us go from empower to power by giving us the permission and tools to change.
Behind this podcast is an incredible quilt of leaders who have breathed the project to life. In time, you'll hear their voices directly woven into the fabric of this podcast through interviews on their own journeys to power. Stephanie Kimu, Director of Popworks Africa. Laura Tomas and Sofia Jimeno on sound design. Miranda Magelli, Director of Policy and Programs at Women's Funding Network. Elizabeth Barajas-Roman, the CEO of the Women's Funding Network. Jennifer Chavez-Rubio, Senior Program Officer of Global Policy and Advocacy at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Firdos Orchestra, one of the only all-women's orchestras in the world representing 24 countries across the Middle East. And Laura Vergara, a Colombian feminist leader at Frida, Purposeful, and the Racial Equity Index. Thank you to each of you for making this learning journey for all of us possible with your own secret sauce.